Well, hello there. My name is Carrie Varela. I'm the owner and founder of the Reiki Healing Society. And today in our podcast, we're going to be discussing the Reiki precepts and how they've helped us explore deeper the meaning and purpose of Reiki, using it as a foundation for our practice, and also talk about how it's helped us navigate um, our life and the challenges of being a woman, but also maybe talking a little bit more in depth, getting a little Reiki geeky about the precepts today. So I'd love to start with Bronwyn. Bronwyn, you have well studied Reiki for decades. It's now written several books and you're part and parcel of a traditional voice of Reiki that really has illuminated the precepts as the cornerstone of a traditional way that Reiki is practiced. And I know for myself, after practicing a more Western style Reiki for many years, I certainly was aware of the precepts, but I wasn't as aware of them being like the cornerstone of a daily Reiki practice. So I'd just love to hear more from you. What, what's your journey with the precepts and how have you brought them into your life and what do you feel is most uh, poignant and relevant about the precepts? Thank you, Carrie. When I first learned the system of Reiki, the very first class that I did, did not, I mean, there was something about the precepts there, there was, but there wasn't much of a focus on them at all. And then I've also noticed even today that, you know, people who come and do classes and they may have done a class elsewhere that they, oh yeah, yeah, there were some precepts mentioned in class, but they don't really know what they were or, or you know, they have a vague recollection of them, but they're not taught as the cornerstone uh, of Reiki in a lot of different classes. So yeah, the way that we see it is that you have different tools that we study in the system of Reiki and we practice like hands-on healing, mantras, meditations, even the Reiju. So we do these, these, we practice these elements in order to be the precepts. So if we are the precepts, then we are Reiki. Yeah. So we spiritual energy we are ultimately our true self and that's why it's the most wonderful thing to be able to use the precepts in everything that we go through in our lives because when we do we have this opportunity to dig into a deeper more profound truth and a way to support ourselves through all the different things that we go through you know and I don't know. I don't know how I used to function without the precepts because they really tell me just straight down the line, you know, am I being angry? Yeah, I'm being angry. Okay. And then I think about, you know, I contemplate that. I contemplate the different things that ways that I have researched how I might support myself with that. And in that moment, but it takes me straight to that point. If I look at the precepts, yeah, so for, the, the, we call them five precepts, but I often think of them as being six precepts because we have this, this little bit that, that hangs at the, at the top and it says some, well, I call it for today only. 
I know Michaela says something else. There's, there's slightly different, you know, slightly different variations on that. But basically it's saying that in this moment or now, today, I will follow these precepts. And then it, then it lays out these five precepts. And I find that this idea of for today only is possibly the most uh, powerful aspect of all those precepts because it's actually saying, take a look at yourself. Yeah, what are you doing? What's happening? What, 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 you know, what are you doing? How are you acting? You know, is this the life that you want to lead? So, you know, I, I find that really, really important. And in fact, I did hear a guy talking on the radio who had done a PhD into creating habits. And he said that, you know, we often talk about 21 days as being an appropriate time. Like it's a good, you know, we keep doing things regularly for 21 days and then we can follow on from that. He said, yes, that is true. But if you really want to create a habit, then do it today. He said that is the most powerful way to do it. And I had to laugh because, you know, it's just like the precepts, right? So, yeah, that's, that's how I, I see that particular precept. And I don't know, maybe one of you guys would like to just go through the precepts for everybody. I'll do it. Okay. Okay. Well, for today only, yeah. do not anger, do not worry be kind, be grateful. And then there's a lot of ways you can translate. I've heard a lot of different translations of the next one, which is like the most, the way I've learned it was, you know, to work diligently and the order might be a little off. Sometimes I do them on order, but <laughs> kind gratitude. And then to do your work diligently or to work hard. But I'm also aware of a different translation of that is to being true to your way as well yeah i think some of them are direct literal translations and some of them are more a feeling translation right and uh, we you know i think we should be flexible right don't we say we should be firm but flexible so if we're flexible i think we should be able to look at things from a lot of different perspectives it's the same as you know any an english word that we might use and it has different meanings depending on the context that we use it in same in japanese so we're going to find different ways to depending how you come at something what what you might feel that that word represents for you so it's going to be slightly different all the time and and i think that just gives us a more richness we're all different and we get even more out of it when i look at for today only i see it as being and this foundation for the precepts, yeah? So we can say all those precepts, but if we don't have for today only, then, you know, when are we doing that, right? So it's sort of like that foundation base. But on the other hand, it also goes the other way. It's like they're built down underneath. So they all work together to help us be here now today, yeah? So it sort of works from both ways and, that, would, that is why I put my hand up and say that is my favorite precept and uh, only because it includes all the other precepts in it. Yeah. <laughs> and you're really speaking to the way in which we need to understand the precepts as an integrated whole and the whole system of Reiki as an integrated whole. And I think when I 
really first got that, that like the purpose of the system of Reiki is to live our lives as an embodiment of the precepts. That is not how I learned originally. You know, as you two spoke, that the precepts were this like nice list of, you know, yeah, that sounds like good things to do in your life, but what, what do we do with that? You know, I didn't have a pathway to, to integrate that into the rest of the system. It seemed very disintegrated, in fact, unrelated almost to the hands-on healing that we were focusing on. And when I realized that the system of Reiki is about living our lives as an embodiment of this, as an integrated embodiment, and the rest of the system is there to help us do that, you know, it all of a sudden the whole system started to come together as this integration. And even more so if we look at, you know, the rest of the language, like around that core set of six, you know, like, you know, each day, you know, bring your hands in gaso, right? The prayer position, which in Shingon or in esoteric Buddhism, the roots of Reiki, you know, the left hand represents us, the right hand represents the universe or all of life. And we're bringing those two things together. So we're concentrating our attention on this integration of ourself with all of life. Chant with your mouth, do this diligently, right? Make sound, use your voice, use your body, use your concentration to, to do what? To live as an embodiment of the precepts. And it becomes this layered experience starting with something that seems very simple, right? This very simple list of things that sound like good ideas, right? <laughs> to, to not go around angry and afraid and you know, to cultivate gratitude, to be kind. But what does it take us to actually live our lives that way, right? Moment by moment. And the system of Reiki gives us that path, right? All of these things together help us to do that in each moment. And thank goodness it's just for today, because if it's like your job is now to live like your entire life, truly embodying these things. Okay, go, go do that now. Right? We'd never get there because that's an impossible task to shift from, you know, our normal day to day into, you know, this very simple and yet challenging and very profound way of being. So yeah, integration is what's really coming as they listen to the two of you. Ah, but what's your favorite precept? It depends on the day. You know, what, <laughs> what I think about it, the way that I think about it and using the contemplation practice that I learned from you actually is that on, you know, I'm very aware that on any given day, there's going to be one or more that are particularly challenging or that are particularly alive for me. You know, I might be feeling particularly grateful or compassionate on a given day. I might've done a really good job. Like not being attached to, to being afraid, like in a given moment, I can be like proud of that. Yeah. I'm really living that preset. On the other hand, I might be like completely averse to a particular one on a given day, right? No, I actually want to be angry today. Like I'm, I'm feeling really good in my righteous anger right now. I'd like to, I'd like to stay attached to that. Right. Well, then that's probably the one I need to work with. Right. Like that needs to be my favorite precept for that day so that I can release that anger, let it teach me whatever it's there to teach me and then let it go on its way. So yeah, the, the idea, it's like, it's almost a trick question, right? What's your favorite? It's like, if it doesn't change from moment to moment, from day to day, then we're probably not paying enough attention to them. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Sounds good. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I feel like my journey with the precepts, you know, I remember the first time I heard them was I was receiving a Reiki treatment from the Reiki practitioner who I eventually studied to the master level with. 
and she just said them to me in the in the treatment and I just I really just I was just like those words just are so beautiful and I they just landed in just a really soft place for me and and I maybe I don't know if I had a thought like I could say that a lot you know <laughs> and not not knowing at the time that you know that that you know would be like a really steady part of my practice to help me connect more deeply with Reiki but it's always just kind of fun, like looking back at how like I received it at the very first moment. And, um, but yeah, I remember just like, oh, so such a beautiful thought, all those things. So beautiful. There felt like, you know, little bumpers that could help me guide my experience in that moment. And um, yeah. And so I feel like the precepts for me have always just been like words to live by, like words to live by. And, and, and maybe for some period of time in my own experience of Reiki, it wasn't something I said every single day or really thought of every single day, but I've you know been integrating it more and more on a daily, daily basis as my practice has grown and I've found a deeper depth and a deeper maturity with it. And I think some of the reasons why I didn't really bring it into my life so much initially is that like, sometimes I got really gung ho with it. And yeah, I went to those moments where I was like, do not anger. And I'd be like, ah, I really want to be angry <laughs> or I, I, I recognize that there's this anger inside of me and it's not something that I can just say, I don't want to feel angry or I don't want to feel that or repress that emotion. And so I feel like I've had to learn new ways of relating to that term that helped me acknowledge my anger and like see it and work on trying to heal it or to understand its deeper roots and where it's coming from. And just as a side note, I mean, maybe I'm gonna focus on the do not anger piece because it feels pretty meaningful to me. And I found Reiki about the same time I really dived into um, my yoga practice. and. I think the first year that I really practiced yoga, like almost every day or like consistently every week, um, I remember like so many times at the end of our yoga practice, just shaking, like shaking and crying. And I couldn't really explain what I was feeling and what I was experiencing, but what I feel like I was experiencing with a, like a little perspective looking back at that time was that I was angry like deeply, deeply, soulfully angry and not something that I could really explain about, you know, where that anger came from or why it was there, but that it was just there. And I remember like the first year of really diving deep into my spiritual practice is at some point the anger burned off and I felt totally different inside of myself. Like I felt like this bigger release, like, ah, oh, like, I don't have to feel stuck in that feeling every single day. And that was like such a blessing. Like I, yeah. And I'm, I'm so grateful for that. And I've seen actually others like go through that same experience themselves, like just really being stuck and, and deep moments of anger. And, and maybe it's like this kind of backwards way that Reiki helps us heal too, is it's that like through the practice of Reiki and through moving my body intelligently and connecting in spiritually and in, in some different ways, like that 
that energy started to move for me. And it wasn't necessarily so intentional that like every time I put my hands together, I was chanting the precepts, but I certainly knew the precepts at that point. But yeah, that, that was kind of my experience with them. But so for now, when I, when I chant them, it's like, a, it is a little bit more of like me being inquisitive about what my anger is, or if I'm feeling angry that day and like celebrating if I'm not, but like really trying to understand my anger. And, and it's really helped me in my marriage too, because my husband, sometimes he has some anger issues and I don't think I could ever really relate to him without having that feeling of this like overwhelming sense of anger inside of myself. Like, and when I see somebody else, like living from an angry place or throwing chairs or, you know, it's like, it's almost like that's my, I can drop into compassion and be like, ah, oh, I know what that feels like. And so it's just like trying to relate. And I don't know if about you, but when you like, when you're angry and somebody else is angry, it's like, it's like fire, yeah. <laughs> yeah. super explosive and really destructive. And so that my, I think that, that my favorite one is that anger piece. It's just being able to like, look at it differently and see it from a more compassionate place. Yeah. Look, suppressing it is not going to make it any better. Right. Yeah. And as you know, and that's, but I think a lot of people do think, oh, I'm not going to anger. I'm not going to anger. I'm not going to, you know, and that is just not going to help actually. But using the not anger helps in the sense of if we think about what, if we didn't address the anger, we wouldn't be any, we wouldn't be looking at our anger. So we need to address the anger. Yeah. So we, we could all go around doing lovely affirmations of, you know, I feel peaceful and calm and yeah, but inside we're bubbling up with this suppressed anger. Yeah. So that's not going to help, but actually looking at the anger, which is what it's asking us to do is incredibly helpful. And Something that I read recently, which I, I found quite helpful, was about imprinting and that we imprint anger on ourselves the very first time we're angry, right? And then the second time that we're angry, which we can't remember this because we would have been tiny little things, you know, and it would have been happening around us. And we've used that as an example, I'm thinking. But, you know, the second time that we get angry, we already have the imprint there. So we know that we can just fall into that feeling. And uh, Michaela, you said righteous anger, such great words, right? I know that feeling. And I, and, and that is like, that's an imprint. That's just like, ah, yes, that's yeah. it, you know, and, and you can just fall into that. And, and each time it becomes more deeply ingrained in who we are. And, and this is where, you know, again, that integration comes in because what you just described that falling more and more deeply into that imprint, it, that's like a constriction of our feeling of anger, right? We're getting more and more patterned into a particular way. And what we're being invited with the precepts, like particularly if we look at the original language in Japanese is it's really more like inviting it into more spaciousness, making more room around it bringing it into a more empty place inside of ourselves so that it has some, some room that we can examine it, as you're saying. And so that integrates with Josh and Kokyoho, right? Where we're bringing our attention down to our center, we're kind of concentrating in, and then we're expanding our awareness. We're imagining our center actually getting bigger and more spacious and taking up more room. And so if we contemplate you know, our anger on a given day while we're in that breath practice, you know, my experience has been 
this feeling of that, that constriction of that patterning, that rut that we get into when we experience our anger and over and over and over in the same way is, is just this like spaciousness that gets put around that where all of a sudden I can understand the anger more. I can see what it's there to teach me. I can take whatever I'm supposed to learn about my response. And then there's just all this room for it to dissipate and, you know, become something more useful in my life. Right. And so, as you were saying, it's not to suppress it. It's not to ignore it. It's not to deny its value in our life. It's, it exists in our system for a reason. Same with fear just for today. I worry not but it's, it's that attachment to it, right? That, oh yeah, I know this, right? I know this pattern. This feels good. I remember this, or this is just what I know. This is my habitual response. You know, we put more space around that. And the, the piece that was coming, Carrie, when you were talking um, particularly about, you know, the way that working with the precepts has helped you understand your husband and other relationships is like, they're, this, the set of simple instructions, right? They describe the outcome of practicing the system of Reiki and they give us some instructions on how to get there. So it's both sides of that. They really are like the most direct way in which we can integrate Reiki into our life, right? Aside from taking a few of those belly breaths. And I was having a conversation with my daughter who's 11 earlier and she was asking about happiness. You know, she was like just working with some unhappiness and she was a little bit concerned that she was like a selfish person. And so she was just kind of asking some questions about, you know, ways of being. And she noted that, you know, sometimes it's hard to be happy when she's so like focused on the things that she wants that she doesn't have. And, you know, so we're talking about that and it was so easy to fall into, well, here's how to be happy, right? Right. We work on letting go of that fear that we're not going to get that thing you know, that we want, right. We work on that place that, that, that's, that, that's holding on, that's attaching. We work on that place. That's angry that we don't have the thing, you know, we work on being grateful for the things that we do in fact have, you know, we work on being diligent about all of those things. And we work on being compassionate for, you know, ourselves in, in all of our, you know, angsty places. And it was like, it was very clear. Like she understood it. She's, you know, 11, she's a kid. But it was so clear to her that not, not like, oh, now I can just start doing that. Yeah, that sounds easy. Let me just go do that. But the roadmap to happiness as a consistent way of being was clear to her. And that was, that really struck me. It's like, again, it's simple and accessible, not easy, but simple. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's cool. Reiki for kids. Yeah. I think it's true for a lot of different ways you can look at, you know, spiritual practices is that like, you know, there's a, there's a tendency to want to read it really surface level. And for a time you can read it really surface level. And then, but then the struggle then is being very dogmatic and judgmental when you see other people struggling with anger or struggling with worry. And again, like that kind of repressed attitude. And so I feel like at like the beginning of my, of my experience with Reiki was more like just kind of struggling with that being like, Hmm, like sometimes I can get a little self-righteous about like, you know, I'm not supposed to worry or whatever. And then I just like pushing away worry. And some of that is actually quite useful because <laughs> the worry is like telling me, like, if I don't change course, I'm going to end up in a direction like in the gutter <laughs> where I don't want to be. Right. And so 
I don't know, I think with more depth and just like studying it and looking at it from different um, perspectives, like one of the perspectives I've looked at it recently is like translating it as just for today, I release anger. And, and, so, and that works for me sometimes, you know, and I recognize that it's not necessarily the, the, the actual way it's translated, but <clears throat> nevertheless, I think that helps me work with things in a way that is like acknowledging of what I'm feeling and experiencing and not just trying to bypass around it. But I think it's also really important for us as practitioners is like when I'm relating to my clients is not doing it on that kind of dogmatic way yeah i so agree and i know that when i teach it in class i try not to actually say too much to begin with at all and because i think that everybody's at their own point with each of these precepts mm -hmm. and i can tell them okay this is it's just like what you were saying michaela about your daughter you know like you could just say this is this right i could just i could just say, well, you know, this is, this is anger, this is worry, this is the, and, and, you know, people go, uh-huh, 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 right, but the way that they're really going to learn is if I ask how anger relates to their lives, or does it relate to their lives, you need, people, we need to work, you know, we, yeah, carry that whole thing of working, honestly, we need to work at looking at ourselves, not telling other people how to live their lives. And I know that I will often go into it and I will think to myself, I'm just going to let go of every thought that I have about anger, worry, compassion, you know, any of that, because I'm just going to let it go because I want the people who I'm with to discover that for themselves. I want them to see what does it mean for them. And then we can have a chat about it. You know, then we can discuss and we can grow together in that. And you know, it's always it's always different, never the same. And everybody has different experiences. And sometimes it's incredibly profound. Things that I wouldn't never in my life have thought about, or you know, and and I learned so much then from from having that, as you're saying, flexible experience around it instead of just being dogmatic and saying, well, this these are the precepts, this is what they mean, and this is how you have to live your life. Yeah, but it's about building a relationship with them, right? It's like that was another big shift for me in my Reiki education and practice was like particularly around the precepts and around the symbols and mantras. It's like, if I don't have a personal relationship with them based on my practice, my experience, my life up until this point, my hopes and dreams for my life past this point, then they're not going to do me a whole lot of good. And, and that's how I spent the first couple of years in my Reiki practice was not having a personal relationship with them. It's like, they were tools, right? That like, you pick them up, you use them, you put them back. Instead of like, this is something that I have an intimate relationship with that I have to work on, right? Like any, any other relationship. And when I do that, that's when they can bring fruit to my life. That's when they come to me in a moment's notice when they're needed without having to think about it. I have a client and student who just recently came through a really scary, extremely painful illness. She's okay now, but she was sharing that automatically it was the presets that she went to like automatically that was the medicine that came to her and in the, you know how grateful she was to have that available to work particularly with fear in her case and and that when it got too difficult 
right? When it's like, I just can't stay focused on this. Then, you know, we had a session and I was just holding space for her with that. Like knowing that fear was what she was like, that was her favorite precept at the time, right? Because that's the one that was really speaking to her experience. And so when we have that relationship born from our, from our life, um, then, you know, we, we know which one is alive in our, our life on a given day, just for today, just for this moment. And we'll automatically turn towards it. It becomes muscle memory, becomes automatic. That, that, you know, that pattern, that patterning that you were talking about, right? It becomes a patterning of opening up and turning towards instead of constricting down. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So what do you all think about your relationship specifically as women and the precepts? Does anything come up for you when you, you, you relate those two topics or that feel very pertinent to you? as a woman? The precepts are obviously, are making an incredible impact on my life. So any choices that I need to make in my life and, you know, the, the times where I might feel, you know, if I, if I look for me, the times that I might feel unempowered or, you know, drawn to anger as a response. I remember like when I was, oh, I don't know, a teenager and walking past construction sites. I don't know what it's like in the rest of the world, but here in Australia, you know, the, 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 this was in the eighties, you know, the guys would call out things at you because you were a woman and, you know, it, it, it was not flattering though I, I think they thought they were being flattering or something like that. I don't know what they thought. But I had a lot of anger about that sort of thing because I, I, and I would, you know, just swear back at them or something like that. But I feel really angry in myself about that. You know, looking at, at you know, how we respond, you know, learning compassion, being able to empathise and understand what it's like to be a, a man in this society, which is sort of what I guess I was just coming to as well. You know, that is a big thing because for men, it's not so easy either. And we all have our own challenges. And a man is brought up thinking in a certain way about a woman, it's gonna be really hard for that person to address, you know, get insight into their own behavior and what's going on for them to understand that too. So the precepts can definitely support me as a woman to see where I'm at and see where other people are at and, and try to be a better person. Well, I, you know, in thinking back to our discussion last time about the experience of being in a female body and, and what it's meant to have Reiki in my life, I had been sharing about feeling the way in which one's gender, and this is true for all people, uh, to varying degrees that often we're put into these constricted places, right? We're put into these boxes, these patterns, as you were saying, right? It's not just the patterns of our emotions inside of ourselves. It's the, it's the restricted patterns of what we're supposed to be out in the world based on things like our gender or what people think our gender is or think it should be. And so, you know, when I think about the challenge of that and the different ways that has played out in my life at different periods, at different ages, at different stages, I can see so clearly the way that the preset form that clear path of navigation through that, which I did not have for so long. 
and now do have. And so I can see the clear difference in my life between having this practice that allows me, as I was saying, with regard to anger, that puts some spaciousness inside of myself and around me to hold a bigger perspective on myself, to like let myself release those expectations based on arbitrary things like societal perspectives on my gender. That it, it, it allowed the, the following the precepts allows me to give myself more room inside and then to act in the world, right? To behave in my relationships and in the world in a way that brings more spaciousness to other people. And so it's, it's this compass, it's this point of navigation through those points of constriction and those points of trying to understand who I am and be that particularly in those moments when that feels counter to what's expected of me. And that's, it's such a blessing to have that. It's such an incredible gift that we you know, get to take on. And, it, and then it becomes a responsibility as well, right? Because when we choose to center the precepts in our life or something like the precepts, right? Because they're, they, they form a pattern that shows up in a lot of different traditions. So when we choose to center something like that in our life, right? There's this responsibility that comes with that, with how we're going to show up. And I'm really grateful to be able to, to accept that responsibility and do my best just for today, just for each moment to, to live it as well as I can. Yeah. So true. Yeah. I think it's so interesting too, because I feel like some, in some ways, the precepts, they do really fall along maybe like stereotypes of how women should act, right? They should they should show up and not be angry and be just grateful. And so in some ways, when I think about it in terms of patriarchy, it kind of makes me a little angry. <laughs> kind of wants to give me more freedom to express my anger because I actually see like a lot of times I think women are angry and there is not a lot of societal normatives around being able to express your anger. A lot of times when people do express anger, it's often like met with a lot of like, like resistance from others. But nevertheless, I think it is really important like to be to looking at them from a more holistic lens, you know, and looking at them not just through a gender lens, but also through just a societal lens, like what, what benefit would these uh, precepts have if everybody, you know, lived their life by them or guided by their life by them, which of course is unrealistic. Um, but nevertheless, that's what comes to mind when I think about like the gender roles in terms of the precepts. And, but I know for myself, like worry is the one exception, right? It's like, it's like almost like it, there is a whole, and it's as much as there's not a freedom for women to not anger, there's like a, a tremendous like freedom for w women to worry. And I know that for me and like the way I was raised is like, um, worry was love in a different way it's like people express my family is expressing their love for me through their worry about me <laughs> and i think that's a little skewed of course but i know for me now as a mom like and like trying to kind of repair that generational gap for my kids i'm realizing like how much i do worry about my kids like oh my gosh and if i let myself race off beyond today you know, I can, I can get really, really lost in anxiety around, you know, what kind of world my kids are going to grow up in, what kind of dangers they might face and what it would be like to lose a child. And that's something that does keep me up 
at night. And I've realized, you know, that like I have to, to, to readjust my perspective that worry isn't necessary love. And I have to find another way of loving my kids. And one of the things that I, I realized when I was in my second pregnancy was that like, I have spent my whole pregnancy just worrying about my unborn child and all of the milestones and, and that I haven't spent any time visioning something beautiful for them. Yeah. Something wonderful for them. So anyways, worry has been one of those things. And I think also really telling for me when I'm working with somebody and a lot of times worry might be one of those reasons why people seek out Reiki, you know, or like they, they have this intuition that something's off or maybe they're really out of control with anxiety. And, and that's, what's really hard is, is like the potion is get out of that worried mind. And yet it's like the worries are just what is compounding their anxiety. And so I've, you know, and if you don't center them, like you were saying, Michaela, if you don't center them with the context of the precepts, you don't, then they can just easily spend that whole hour you're with them in, in, in Reiki, just worrying, you know, and that's their mindset. And they, you just, they can't get out of it. So it is, I think, really helpful to, you know, when we're working with clients, especially around anxiety is like, okay, like what can we separate? What, how can we chunk away at this, this worry that you're feeling and, and give it some new perspective and some space? There's a couple of things you said in there, Carrie, that I really want to like circle back to, you know, one of them is around the, the relationship of, of women generally and anger and this general pattern in society, not true of everybody, but general pattern that anger is generally suppressed in female identified people. And therefore we learn to suppress it and probably feel shame about it when it comes out and it you know can wreak havoc inside of our system because we're suppressing it. And the idea that the, that the precepts actually, what my experience has been is that, that the precepts actually give me an avenue for that expression. That I've actually, I have a more, much more healthy relationship with my anger. Not that I never have anger, right? But it doesn't have me. I don't, I'm not attached to it. I'm not an angry person. I'm a person who experiences anger when it's appropriate to have anger. Sometimes when it's not appropriate to have anger. Definitely not perfectly living the precepts in every moment of my life. Yeah. But again, this mindset sh mindset shift that, you know, when we look at how the, the words are actually written in Japanese originally, what it's inviting us into is not exactly the way it's translated in English. It's, it's not don't be angry or do not anger. It's anger not. And the word not like has these different connotations that, you know, invite us into giving, putting more room around our anger so that we can have a relationship with it, understand it, give it some space to educate us and then, and then dissipate and move away. And so all of that has an understanding the precepts from that perspective has given me a much healthier relationship with anger and with fear, which has definitely been a, a default. And even, you know, with sadness, which isn't explicitly addressed in the precepts, but is the one that is perhaps a little bit more familiar to uh, female identified folks, perhaps were allowed sadness more uh, readily than anger. And so, yeah, so I just wanted to really highlight that, that the precepts, while from a certain 
way of translating them might be seeming to instruct us to continue suppressing anger. That's right. actually not what we're being invited into. We're being invited to have a healthy relationship with it. I would say, yeah, I agree. And I, I don't think it is appropriate to have anger, but maybe it's a language thing. I think that because language, because anger is an out of control emotion, which is what you were saying, Michaela, you know, so it is, it is this thing that we don't have control over. And because we don't have a control over it, it is something which can be very damaging and to ourselves and to other people. So, yeah, I don't know. I, mean, I think maybe there's a language thing around that. What I do see, and we had recently a political situation about this here in Australia, um, is women, uh, a woman who didn't respond smiling to a man politically because he was giving her an award for something, but she didn't appreciate his uh, attitude to her and how he had been with her in the past, things that he'd said to her. She was told that she should have smiled and sucked it up, basically. And it's that thing of women should not express how they feel. And I think, you know, that doesn't, it doesn't have to be anger, but that she's not allowed, that we are not allowed to say what we feel and instead we should just be quiet yeah and it's that being quiet that i think can create that is the suppression and that is us putting holding on you know but beneath the quiet is the bubbling anger yeah so yeah, yeah totally and and like the being in relationship with all of our feelings right the all of the five core feelings that we have allows us to, to get much more subtle and more preemptive about the sensation of them in our body, right? So it's like anger starts as a sensation that can be recognized that's very small and subtle, not out of control, not mm. um, raging, not something that is damaging us or other people in that initial phase. It yeah. becomes that when we ignore it, when we don't know what to do with it, we don't know how to discharge it, we are afraid to express it, we think it's inappropriate, you know, there isn't an avenue, whatever the case. And so being in relationship with our feelings, all of them give us much more subtlety in sensing those preemptive sensations of them in the body and knowing then what to do with them, right? So that first sensation of anger, it's information. There's something not right happening right now. Like when I was told to just smile and take it from that dude, like, that sensation of anger in my chest is telling me that that's not okay. I am being wronged. And there's, and there is a response that's being asked of me, but what challenges us is when we don't know what to do with it. And so that response becomes out of control and that response becomes outside of compassion for ourselves and for other people outside of gratitude, outside of being true to ourselves and being diligent and so forth. So you know, working with this, you know, the simple structure that we can pattern over and over again allows us to, to be with our emotions in a, in a dance and a dialogue and a collaboration so that we can, we can respond appropriately to them. We can notice what they're there to show us and then move them through before they become something that we're not in control of. Yeah, which is my understanding of how they're intended to function. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. There is something in the introduction to the precepts and it talks about the blessings that we receive. Yeah. And these are the blessings. 
you know, what you've just outlined. Ways to work, ways to be, how they can help us to be a whole healed, working to be healed person. Yeah. I think that's too, too, so much about the nature of anger being so reactive, you know, being, and if I could take off my Reiki geek glasses and put on my yoga geek glasses, <laughs> I would look at it from my, a yoga, yogic perspective, which is that, that there, that anger transforms, you know, it is, it's a move emotion it, it makes you react to it and, and almost in that way it's a good thing because you need that reaction to step out of whatever it is so if it's a boundary that's been crossed it's like i'm going to speak up and 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 stand up for myself but the danger is when it's in just such a reactive place and a destructive place and so i feel like the precepts if i look at it then from then it's like i i I'm going to sit with my anger until it's not, I'm not reacting from an angry place. And like Michaela said, you know, I have anger, but it doesn't have me. And, and then I think I can kind of channel that righteous anger or when something is really wrong, I can, I can say like powerfully and use that energy to say that's wrong. And I'm going to do anger. something about it. I don't actually think we should use anger. I don't think anger in 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 a world that I would like to live in. Yeah, uh, in I don't think in that ideal world, which I do think that the precepts are taking us to that ideal world. Yeah, mm -hmm. I don't mm -hmm. think anger exists. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I, I always say there's a difference between concern and anger. Mm -hmm. And you know, speaking mm -hmm. up doesn't have to be angry. But I do understand what you're saying about that spark and that I, I, I think we're probably all saying the same thing just differently, you know, so maybe, you know, that little spark, that thing that it's like, you know, because someone has some, something's happened and how we use that definitely, you know, and I think that's, sorry, go ahead. No, no, yeah, go for it. I just, I'm excited. I love this stuff. I think that's such a great way to describe it, right? That spark that comes forward, grabs our attention. And then, and then what do we do with it? Right. And so the precepts and the rest of the system then gives us a pathway to metabolize it yeah. so that, so that when we react, as you're saying, we're not actually reacting in anger. We've already addressed the anger. The spark has our, you know, has given us what it needed. And so that our response is now coming from that place of compassion for ourselves and for other people. That is our fifth precept. There's this really delightful and wonderful section in the book of joy with the Dalai Lama and Archbishop Desmond Tutu, where they discuss this very thing where the Archbishop is really like, no, righteous anger is valuable. Like, you know, when I, when I draw on that energy and act, you know, on behalf of my people from that energy, like that's a good thing. And the Dalai Lama was saying something more like what you're saying is that actually our goal should be to get to a place where we don't even ever have to do that. However, here in this world that we live in, where there's so many points of provocation for that spark to come forward it's going to come forward right and therefore just for today we need to work with what is true right now be grateful for what is true right now which is that oh anger right because there's something that's that's inflaming it and so then as you say i think we're all kind of speaking around the same thing is like then 
metabolize, process, integrate that spark, and then act from that place of integration where we, where we understand yeah. what the provocation was and how we're meant to respond, but the response is not the energy of anger coming from us. So consciousness is the way yeah. I always describe it. Us being conscious of what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I need to wrap up. Well, thank you all so much for joining us on this third episode of the Reiki Women podcast, where we get deep into the concept of the precepts. So before we leave, just for today, anger not, worry not, be grateful, be true to your way and work hard at that and be compassionate to yourself and others. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, I better not imprint my kid with anger by like leaving him at <laughs> <laughs> no, no. See you later, alligator. Bye. 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 Bye.